Hey guys, welcome to our program, Small Town Worlds, where we talk about world issues from a small town perspective through a biblical lens. Our aim is to spotlight Jesus Christ and spread the gospel while discussing relevant topics we all face day to day. Hello everybody, and we're back today talking about critical race theory. Today's going to be critical race theory part two. So we didn't finish everything that we wanted to do last time so and everything that we wanted to say and cover. So we're going to continue talking about that and cover some of the topics and things that we didn't didn't discuss last time. The very end last time, Kayla said um, she was telling us about cultural Marxism and she said you can't um, destroy a government until you s- destroy, first destroy its culture. So I was going to read y'all the... Um, Uh, During the Soviet takeover of Czechoslovakia in 1968, it led to a conversation between two friends years later. This was in in 1971, and this was uh, Milan Hubel. And he said, the first step to the liquidation of a people is to erase its memory, destroy its books, its culture, and its history. Then have someone write new books and manufacture a new culture. And then invent a new history before long. The nation will forget what it is and what it was. And that was Czechoslovakia. Uh, so what year did you say that was? That was 1968 uh, was the takeover. And 71 is when he made that when quote. He had that, yeah, when that conversation Just observed that, that that had happened. Right. You know, in the effort to uh, institute communism was the goal. Right. Uh, which is the goal here as well. Exactly. That's, you know, just thinking about how each of those things is playing out even today in our own own country. And um, I'm like you, long before we ever started um, the podcast and just in in hearing other people talk about that, whereas the one side would say um, we don't want to honor those, just thinking specifically some conversations I had about the statues, you know, coming down. Sure. And people saying, well, we don't want to honor those men. They made bad choices. They didn't, you know, they had slaves or, you know, whatever sin was marked against them. That that was the reason for. And that just never made sense to me because, um, you know, when we forget history, we're doomed to repeat it. That was my thought. That was always my thought in, in, in those conversations. And then, um, you know, f- later finding out that in some of the countries recently that have fallen to communism, that is one of the things that they came in and did was destroy all of the, the monuments and the statues that, you know, the historic markers throughout their country. And like, yeah, you know, it just didn't make, it just didn't make sense at the time until you think of it in light of, Oh, well, that's exactly what they were trying to do. Yeah. And so much of it was so new to us because, you know, we, probably don't know world history yeah most people just average people don't know world history and so you know to us taking down the statues what we thought it was vandalism we thought it was ridiculous and right. and you know it's horrible and should or be even stopped people that stood up for it thought that they had a good reason to stand up for it yeah both you know? sides but when you when you really they didn't really know that they were repeating history right when you, when you think about that it was it was such a it's such a power play in a bigger picture mm-hmm. than than just simply we don't like what those men stood for because that really had nothing to do with it right it's, it's the 
it's the institution of it's, those th- instituting yeah. of those things in in erasing history. I mean, it's that's really the, yeah, it's it the destruction yeah. of culture, and that's the goal. Right. And just like you said, that that's the goal of cultural Marxism is to destroy the culture so that they can institute a new, a new one. one. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh no, I have lost my place. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to find it quickly. <laughs> I'm going to find it. Oh heavens. Here we go, here we go, here we go. I'm back, I'm back. <laughs> oh, no, I'm not. Wait, <laughs> it's so bad, I can't find it. <laughs> Tell us something, okay, Kayla, so while Chris, I try to find. Sorry, I thought you were about to have it. So one of the things that's been significant to me, and I think is still significant for us to keep in mind as we talk about critical race theory, as it's going gonna, it's gonna to eventually become like, oh, that's, that's, that's old news. I'm a, I don't want it to become old news. I want mm. it to stay in the forefront of in us realizing that this is what we're fighting against. Mm. And I want us to really have a clear, I want to have a really clear understanding of what is this critical race theory worldview. Because people will say it's not a worldview, but of course it's a worldview. When you're looking at systems and peoples and, and governments and how we should treat people, and mm-hmm. well, that's exactly what a worldview is. Yeah. And so I just, I want to, to keep in mind what, what that worldview looks like. And I want to keep clearly in my mind what the biblical worldview looks like. So I found a really good comparison, or I should just say a description. It said, um, critical race theory sees the world culminating toward a utopia based on the destruction of all oppressive systems. So this worldview believes that we can create systems that will lead to this utopia where everybody makes good choices. Everybody does the right thing. Everybody Mm -hmm. treats people fairly. Um, But in order to do that, all of these oppressive systems have to be destroyed. Right. So that's, that's the worldview of the critical race theory. Whereas the Bible sees the world culminating toward ultimate restoration in the new heavens and the new earth through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And I would add to that, that, um, we are all sin- sinful, all man. Um, we are all in need of a Savior. We are all in need of that restoration through Jesus Christ. And that is the only way that we can be a better person. Yeah. Because um, part of crit- critical race theory, you know, lays out all of these things that we can do to be a better person. But in reality, we can never be better because we're white. Yeah, if you're born, it it depends on who you are and how you're born. If you you are born white, you can never be out of that group. There is no hope to be out of that group. Whereas in the biblical worldview, we have hope in Jesus Christ. We have hope to be different. And so I I remember that was one of the things that just struck me so, so sad when I was reading Fault Lines was because I literally thought this is hopeless. Yeah. It's hopeless for for a demographic of America or the world. The world, yeah, it's hopeless. It's hopeless. And I, that that was so sad to me. It was one of the it was one of the saddest parts mm-hmm. was that I can give no defense because I can't ever say the right thing, and I can never not be in that group. Yeah, of of those that are oppressing other people. And I think about my husband and my son, who are even worse in their their eyes. That there is no hope for them to ever be non-oppressors right right and that was sad to me yeah 
I'm going to read the actual or an actual definition of critical race theory. Um, critical race theory, the view that the law and legal institutions are inherently racist and the race itself, instead of being biologically grounded and natural, is a socially constructed concept that is used by white people to further their economic and political interest at the expense of people of color. So that is, and and I want to point out that critical race theory is just one tenet. Because if you, if you go back and listen to what you said initially what, when you were comparing and contrasting, that view that we could achieve a utopia mm-hmm. is based in humanism. Because it's based in each person having good godlike qualities. Yeah. So they believe that there is, that's attainable simply because each person. But then the contradiction of that within critical race theory is that, you know, we're inherently bad. We're inherently or bad. There is a group of people there's a who group are in, of people who are bad. who are inherently bad, born that way, and right. and there's no changing that. Now you can make efforts to combat your whiteness, right? But but ultimately, there's really nothing that you can do. But at the same time, you have these good godlike qualities that can help us all achieve achieve this this utopia that's based in humanism. So yeah. it's really so contradictory over and over and over. Uh, yeah, in so many ways. In so many ways. Yeah. I just, the words diversity and inclusion came to me as I was thinking the last few days about that. And I thought, gosh, how contradictory are those two words? Because, you know, both are being um, touted as just, you know, necessary for us to reach this mm-hmm. utopia. And, and they seem, I don't know, they to me they seem very contradictory. I don't see how, you know. Yeah, I guess we're supposed to accept everybody's diversity. I'm I'm not really sure. Maybe I just haven't studied that well enough to understand the point. But as of right now, my mind doesn't seem to understand how both of those are working together. Both to of those are working that. together. Yeah. I don't know. Erwin Lutzer said he had in chapter three of the book, uh, "We Will Not Be Silenced," is using diversity to divide. And that's, <laughs> yeah, and that's and that was his point. Um, he quoted Saul Alinsky, who wrote The Rules for Radicals. He wrote that book in the 19, late 1960s, maybe. I didn't write the year down. I'm sorry. But he died in 1976. I think he wrote that in the late. But anyway, he dedicated his book to Lucifer, oh, by the way. Boy. Alinsky was a committed Marxist. And his quote, I'm going to read his quote. An organizer must stir up dissatisfaction and discontent. He must create a mechanism that can drain off the underlying guilt for having accepted the previous situation for so long a time. Out of this mechanism, a new community organization arises. Um, so I'm going to contrast so the old that quote. Must die. The old must die. <laughs> so written in the, I think he wrote that book in the late 1960s. Um, that's the other thing that's frustrating to me is that all these people have all these new concepts, but they're really just copying other people right. and, uh, and adopting those. Yeah. Anyway. Throughout history. Throughout history. Right. But, just but the people now that are getting all this wonderful praise and credit for, right. for these wonderful new ideas are essentially copying old communist ideas and yeah. Marxist ideas. Um, So what are you contrasting that with? I'm going to contrast that with a quote from Martin Luther King. He wrote in his letter from Birmingham jail, he said, How does one determine whether a law is just or unjust? A just law is a man-made code 
that squares with moral law or the law of God. An unjust law is a code that is out of harmony with the moral law. He said, he continued on, to put it in terms of St. Thomas Aquinas, an unjust law is a human law that is not rooted in eternal or natural law. So, you go back and look up, stir up discontent and dissatisfaction, tear down systems, you know. Create a new one. Create a new one where Martin Luther King is saying, create a man-made code or or abide by a man-made code that is grounded in the law of God. I love that because what it makes me think of is how there are elements today that, okay, so if we just completely throw out critical race theory, the the fear then is that we disregard the reality that, that racism exists. Yeah. You know what I mean? And you don't. And we don't. And so I love that Martin Luther King, he's not saying that there aren't bad laws. Right. He's not saying that there aren't things wrong that need to be fixed. He's saying that these things that are wrong, we need to figure out how to make them align with God's word. Yes. We need to make them align with the moral truth that we know is rooted and grounded in scripture. That's what he said. He said then, and I I don't mind copying him. That's what I want to say today. Yeah. Absolutely. Let's 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 think about the ways that people are mistreated. Let's think about the systems and the laws and um, all of those things that that are affecting individual mm-hmm. people, re- regardless of color. Yeah. And and let's fix those things. Let's yeah. think about those moral things that are happening that go against God's word that are affecting our society, and let's fix those things. We we talked last week about you know, just the corruption of government. So I think those are things that everybody can visibly see with their eyes. And so the danger of just acting like none of that stuff exists, well, then it says, see, you're not even looking at anything. You know what I mean? It's like we have to acknowledge the flaws and the faults. Yeah. But we can't do it through the lens of critical race theory. Right. We've got to do it through the lens of scripture. We've got to do it through the lens of that moral law that Martin Luther King spoke of. Um, those are the ways that we're going to fix what's broken. Right, right. I, I just loved, I loved that, and I thought, gosh, when you compare the two, oh yeah, you can, cl- you can clearly see. I, I can clearly see. I don't. I mean, I, I can too. I love I that. Why other people can't, right? <laughs> clearly see, and I think some people can, think they can, and they, they want to be on the what people are saying the right side of history. Right. So they want to join in. So that they can... I just heard John Cooper say woke cookies in my head. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so they can get some woke cookies. They want the virtue They want the virtue signaling. They want the yeah. pat on the back right now. Right. Yeah. They don't want to look like... N- none of us likes to be on the outside. I mean, right. I think that that's, you know... And then I think so many people are trying to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but when we try to do the right thing apart from God, it's, it's never going to be right. Yeah. Even if it appears right in the moment or it looks right in the moment, um, the end result is not going to be the result that we're looking for. Right. You know, because. Yeah. Because we know that we're a sinful fallen world and they can't achieve a utopia. Right. That's that's an unrealistic an impossibility. impossibility. Right. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, I want to say what uh, Dr. Albert Moeller, the president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, he said this. 
Both critical race theory and intersectionality, which we talked about last on part one, are a part of the continuing transformative Marxism that is now so dominant in higher education and increasingly in policy. Critical race theory emerged from worldviews, there you go, and from thinkers who were directly contrary to the Christian faith. So his point is basically what he was trying to say is we can't allow this in the church. He was worried about critical race theory seeping into right. uh, the church. And he voted against, I will point out that he voted against the Resolution 9 that did pass, um, what was that, 2019? Yeah. And then they tried to amend it uh, this past year. But uh, they, to me, that was a, they made a vague blanket yeah. was all they they really could put into place. But anyway, go ahead, sister. What were you going to say? Oh, I'm not sure what exactly what I was going to say. I was just thinking, I was listening to you. I'm sorry. Um, well, you look like you were trying to get a, something out. <laughs> I think I was just processing what you were saying about, about him. But um, just a couple of things that I came across that you were talking about it seeping into the church. And I, I think the reality is, is that it already has. Yeah. I think that's the thought that was going through my mind at the moment. Um, and, and again, that why it's so important for us to, just solidify our own biblical worldview, solidify the biblical worldview for our children, um, solidify the biblical worldview within our churches so that when these things arise, we recognize, hey, that doesn't match up. Because I think that that's one of the places where we have faltered as a people is because we, we didn't fully know what we believed and why. Mm-hmm. Um, we just had a kind of, like you said, vague. We kind of had a vague understanding of what we believed and why we believed it. Oh, we're supposed to be good to people. Oh, well, this is good to people. So maybe this is, you know, oh, we want to treat everybody fairly. Yeah. Well, this kind of sounds like it's fair. So let's, yeah. maybe I should be doing this. And so I think that it's that, that lack of that, um, really, uh, a clear cut idea of what we believe and why Yeah. that, that has allowed us to be kind of, um, I mean, the wool's been pulled over our eyes, I think, in a way yeah. because of that. But um, just a couple of things that the Bible says that's contrary to what's some, some things that are stated in critical race theory. So yeah. the Bible doesn't lim- limit the sins of partiality, hatred, injustice, or bearing false witness to those in power. Those are sins that we can all be guilty of. Whereas in the oppressed and the oppressor group, the, the oppressed can't be guilty of those things. Mm, they what a great point. They can they can exhibit hatred, which we've seen in many ways. I just the riots and the looting and the vandalism and all those things pop into my mind. The the that video I watched the video of uh, people going into restaurants and just throwing people's food off of the table and uh, ordering them to get out of the restaurant, like just some people sitting down at their meal and Mm -hmm. they kept they they stormed the restaurant and i mean that's hatred Mm -hmm. that's just but but because because they were on that side of the oppressed it was okay Mm -hmm. and 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 i'm not they were of no particular color it was all mixed color but that because they were fighting on the side of the oppressed right that it was okay it was justified Um, yeah the bible explicitly forbids mob rule and deference to the poor, which is the oppressed class, we are neither to show partiality to the one nor the other. Right. Um, the Bible categorizes all humanity within the default state of Adam, and that's that sinful state. Yeah. We we are all sinners. It doesn't matter rich, poor. It doesn't matter our color. It doesn't matter our education. Um, you can die a rich white man. I mean, you can be born a rich white person, die a rich white man. Without knowing Jesus Christ, you're a sinner. You can be poor, born in any color, any class, 
And if you never accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're going to die in the same state right. that you were born in. We are we are all in that category. Um, this verse in Deuteronomy, this is the verse that I wanted to read. Deuteronomy 24, 16 says, Fathers shall not be put to death because of their children, nor shall children be put to death because of their father. Each one shall be put to death, if that's the case, for their own sin. In other mm-hmm. words, we are each responsible for the sins that we commit. Yeah. And I think that, that that's a significant thing to be grounded in because I, I, I'm not born into someone else's guilt. Yeah. And that's one of the, the tenets of that oh, um, belief absolutely. system. Oh, absolutely. It is. Is that we bear the guilt of the past sins of our forefathers. Of our forefathers. Mm-hmm. And that's completely non-biblical. Completely non-biblical. Um, I love this one. The Bible forbids evil suspicion in 1 Timothy 6, 3 through 5, um, making CRT's inherent suspicions about white people sinful. Mm-hmm. And um, and there are a few other ones, but essentially th- these things that they have built this system on, this belief system, this worldview, um, I th- and I think you pointed it out in one of the quotes, is completely unbiblical. Right. That was Albert Mueller. Yeah. I mean, it's it's just unbiblical. And so I think what we have to acknowledge is that when we give credence to it on any level, mm-hmm. then then what we are saying is that, okay, I know the Bible says this, but this really makes a lot of sense in our culture today. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I think I can buy into this part of it, even though it doesn't completely align with Scripture. And I think right. that that's the dangerous place that we're in now. Yeah. And it makes me think of what we talked about last week. When we see something that goes against God's word, that's the line. That's yes. where we can stand up. That's where we can have debate. That's where we can say, no, we're not We're not right. going to be a party to this. We're not going to go along with this. This is something that we are going to fight against right. um, in our school systems, in our homes, in our, in our books, jobs. in our jobs. Yeah. 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 That's, that's where the line, to me, that's where the line is, I um, I know each person has to right. make their own determination. Um, and I do see a different perspective on that because, and I, and John Cooper even said that in the, if you, did you, obviously I, you must've listened to that one today. No, no, not today. Not today. Did it, did it drop yesterday or today? I, it, it, I haven't listened to his latest one. So I, I'm I did. Sure. I yeah. did listen to it and, um, totally forgot my point. <laughs> <laughs> Totally got off track. Sorry. Okay, so we're both getting old because I can't remember what point we were making. I either. can't remember the point. I'm so sorry. I'm going to skip to the next thing. Okay, assume go ahead. the best of your brothers and sisters in Christ. Yes. Um, and be slow to judge your brothers and sisters in Christ and strive for unity. That's uh, Philippians two one through three. You were going to look that one up for me. Um, okay. Uh, Philippians 2. You want me to read them? Yeah. Read Philippians 2, 1 through 3 for us. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Yeah. So that, and and the reason that spoke to me along this vein is, is the, 
divisiveness that this causes. Right. This just causes division even among believers. I'm going to go on and read verse four. It says, let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. And um, I, I mean, I'm like you, I think that that's significant today because so much of and not just critical race theory. I just think so much of our society in general is so self-focused. Yes. If we aren't, I think, gosh, I think we did. That was yeah, we one, did of, that. one of our podcasts, the very, very beginning when we first began. But like just how dangerous that is when we are always looking to see what's owed me. What am I being cheated out of? Mm-hmm. How am I being mistreated? What offense has happened to me? Yeah. And, and, and when we take the, because it's so easy to take that stance as any human being, because we are so, um, we're so self-protective and so, uh, self-interest motivated that we really have to fight against that. I mean, I think that that's one of those laying down of ourselves, crucifying our own flesh so that we are then able to, to do what scripture says, because that isn't something I do naturally. No, I don't naturally let go of my own interests so that I can look out for the interest of others. Right. But as Christ followers, when you realize, okay, that's, that's something I'm called to, which means it's something that God can empower me to do, which means it's a possibility for me. Um, Gosh, there's hope in that. Yeah. You know, and and something to be allowing God to work out in 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 each of us, you know. Yeah. It just when you were talking it about the the victimhood, that part of the victimhood ideology is something that uh Lutzer pointed out in his book as a tenet of Marxism that uh creating the feminist ideology, the victimhood ideology, um, all of those things play in to changing culture, um, you know, again, with the goal of changing. Uh, uh, they wanted to, part of that was to do away with capitalism, but um, but we also know it's power and control and so right. many other things. But, uh, but yes, doing away with capitalism was the ultimate goal. But victimhood ideology was one of the building, is a stepping stone. It's a building block. Yeah. Yeah, it's so crazy to me how all of these and so many of the things that we've talked about, it's like they're threads Mm -hmm. just woven in. And, you know, um, when you start pulling those threads, like even I just thought back that the analogy that she makes about progressivism, uh, progressivism, Elisa Childers, when she talks about how that's what deconstruction is, is like pulling those threads out. But I I think we can apply that same um, idea to the things that are going on in our culture today, when you start eliminating self, okay, well then it, that, that ideology doesn't seem quite as strong. Yeah. When you start eliminating victimhood, well, that ideology doesn't seem quite as strong. Um, when you start eliminating, uh, this, this group, this, this partiality, you know, the way it's set up, well then, you know, you're just, you're taking out these off these legs that it's been standing on. And Mm -hmm. all of a sudden, it, it just isn't as strong as what it once looked like. Yeah. And so, you know, when you really start breaking down each of the, the, the components of it, all of a sudden you realize um, it, maybe it, it didn't make quite as much sense as the first time you heard it. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Tell us, you had, uh, you had some things that were at the end of, the, of Dr. Balcom's book. Yeah, so at the end of the, you know, of course, the, the book is just, um, it's heavy. It's just heavy with the realization of these things that are going on and these things that are being taught. And so um, I was so excited when I got to the very end of the book and he 
um, his last chapter is called Restoration and Mitigation. And so he goes through uh, numerous things that, that we can do to really um, combat, because sadly, one of the things that he points out is that, you know, this probably isn't going away. Right. Um, but that doesn't mean that we're powerless. And so he just reminds us that the, the war is not with flesh and blood, that this is a spiritual battle. And as Christ followers, we understand what that means, is that we are fighting now through prayer. We are fighting through scripture. And those are the things that he points out. And so he says that um, we fight with the truth of the gospel. As followers of Christ, we reject the idea that the sin of racism is entirely structural what we come what we understand and that and that was a quote from his book but what we understand is that we are all sinful and we are fighting um our own sin and that that sin is fought by leading people to christ through the Mm -hmm. gospel um understanding true biblical justice and so i think that that might be something that that we want to touch on soon is that what what, what is biblical what justice? What is biblical justice? Um, I had that conversation with someone recently who was a little bit confused about justice. Um, we fight with the unity of the body. And that one is, and we, again, we talked a little bit about that last week because that is my heart. And, and I see that that's one of the things that's being so heavily um, attacked right sure. now. And it is so, y'all, it's so invasive. I mean, it. It has us fighting over things that we're going to look back and shake our head and like, what in the world were we doing fighting over that? Like, yeah. what? why in the world was that something that we yeah. were arguing over or that we allowed to divide our church or our family or whatever? Um, and then one of the last things that he said, which I think that is so important to remember, is that our weapons are powerful. Mm. Um, and he reminds us in 2 Corinthians 10, 4, the weapons of our warfare, and he just puts part of the quote, but he the quote says, have divine power to destroy strongholds. Yes. And I think just remembering that we are not powerless, we are not, we're not even weak. It doesn't matter how many, what our number is. If we remember the truth of God's word, if we know the truth, if we stand on the truth, if we're sharing the gospel, mm-hmm. if we fight for the unity of the brethren, yeah, um, like that, there's power in that. Yeah. And there's power in the name. Of, there's no power greater than the name of Jesus Christ. And um, that's our hope. Yeah. Yes. Well, we're out of time. I think we could do Critical Race Theory Part 3, but we're not going <laughs> to. I think I think we want, we need to do biblical justice. We'll next do biblical week. justice. Yeah. That's my yeah. vote. Well, thank you guys for listening, and we'll see y'all next time. <laughs>